our job as investors is to see these kind of quiet disruptions that are happening and, and try to determine whether they're going to be real or not. And then we look for business opportunities or business systems that are solving problems that are just real and, and very easy to see. This is Ag Bioscience. Welcome and thanks for joining. I'm Mitch Frazier, CEO of Agrinovis Indiana. This is the podcast where we explore all things Ag Bioscience, the people, the products, the innovations across food, animal health, plant science, and ag tech. Today, we are joined by a pioneer who has led transformation in consumer and food companies, including 1-800-Flowers.com, the iconic Fannie Mae Confections Company, and Cargill, and his colleague, a PhD biochemist with startup experience in bioinformatics. Together, they're two of the tremendous team at venture capital firm Lewis & Clark Agrifood, and they're joining us today. Welcome Dave Tacklett, General Partner and Managing Director of Lewis & Clark Agrifood, and Dr. Larry Page, Managing Director. Gentlemen, welcome to Ag Bioscience. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks. Pleasure. Thanks, Mitch. Yeah, it's great to be with you. We are going to cover a lot, and I think the first place to start is congratulations to you both. Wow, what an incredible past year it's been for you. Just last summer, closed on more than $250 million across the Agri-Food Fund, as well as your Rural Business Investment Corp, or Arbic. Could you tell us more about the funds and, and broadly your thesis and where you're focused at Lewis & Clark Agri-Food? Yeah, thanks, Mitch. It's great to see you and, uh, and talk to you, and, and thanks for having us on. Um, yeah, we, we, we received uh, really strong support from a diverse group of investors across our two funds that you described, but essentially we're a, a late stage venture growth equity a capital provider to food and agriculture you know, growth companies. And we like to say we invest in the messy middle of agriculture and agri-food. So we're, we're not, we don't own dirt. We're not farmland investors. We invest in inputs into farmland and we're not consumer brand um, investors per se, unless there's some kind of technology, but we like the messy middle. We especially like technology around the agriculture side, ag tech and, and food tech. But, you know, our investors that have invested with us are a diverse set of corporations, institutions, individuals, family offices, and then the rural invest, the RBIC that you referenced is a, a farm credit, a USDA licensed product that the farm credit banking system and other financial institutions uh, supported us in our um, our fundraising there. So we're very excited. We're, we're very active in, in the space, deep in technology, and um, really excited about where we are. We're actually about 40 to 50% deployed on the 270 million that we've raised. So in the, even though we closed the fund last year, we were active investors, you know, a couple, you know, we've been doing this for a number of years. So we've been active investors. So we're 40, 50% deployed and uh, we have some really interesting portfolio companies that we're happy to talk about. And just Dave, as you mentioned, the, the strategy is the same across both funds. The top of the deal flow funnel is the same. Uh, we look at the same sorts of companies at the same stage. It's just as we get deep into due diligence, if a business is rural eligible, then we can pull money from the RIBIC. But otherwise, same strategy and, and same deal flow funnel. A lot of our companies, just because of our focus on food and agriculture, you know, do significant business or are located in rural areas. 
Gentlemen, that's impressive to be that deployed in 12-ish months, less than 12 months is incredible. Dave, I love the investment thesis that you and, and Larry walked through, and it's one that's well honed. Your career, Dave, is, is nothing short of extraordinary. You started your career at Cargill, co-founded a candy company, if I remember right, right after B-School, completed a number of acquisitions, including that of iconic candy company, Fannie Mae, which is just incredible in and of itself led that company then to an acquisition by 1-800-Flowers.com. And to me, this is where the story gets super interesting. I mean, 1-800-Flowers.com, it's a giant juggernaut. More than It's more than flowers, a billion dollar market cap company, 10,000 seasonal employees, thousands of acres of farms, portfolio of brands, Cheryl's Cookies, Harry and David. You have undoubtedly learned lessons along this journey that I guarantee are super helpful to those companies that you're working with. Based on those experiences, based on this incredible career, also should say thank you for your service in the Army. Where do you see the most interesting innovations happening across ag bioscience today? Yeah, thanks for the question, uh, Mitch. Yeah, it's been, I've had a, a wonderfully interesting path and it's, um, I don't think it was necessarily the path that I would have drawn up, but you react to opportunities that you see and, and things that happen in your life and, and, and make the best of them. But you're right, I had a, a, a wonderful experience at Cargill. I worked in their M&A business development group where I was able to travel the world looking at international business, be it apple juice, orange juice, flour milling, uh, corn milling, grain trading and such. And But I did, I grew up in a small town in Indiana. So shout out to fellow you know, Hoosiers and my family's business was agriculture. So we've always been involved in food and, and there was an entrepreneurial itch that I had and that's what led me into the chocolate business. And ultimately we built that business and sold it to 1-800-Flowers as you mentioned. But what, what I learned at 1-800-Flowers was that you know consumers drive innovation and there was a, a maniacal focus on what is the consumer demanding? What is the consumer desire? How does the consumer want to be transacted with? And so we spent an enormous amount of time monitoring trends, interest of consumers. And that, that led us to, you know, watching what has evolved in the food system. So the food business at 1-800-Flowers actually became larger than the, the floral business for a lot of reasons, wow. but the diverse nature of food and the transformation that was happening in food being delivered directly to people's homes was a natural extension from gifting which was our focus at 1-800 flowers and and self-gifting as, as well as gifting to to others and so that's where we were were focused but what consumers were ultimately demanding were, were transparency in the food system healthier food food that had attributes that made them maybe feel better and and gave them a sense of pride about what they were giving away whether it was climate friendly um, food or um, food that helped support a cause and so that's what we saw transforming i then joined with larry page here and lewis and clark and team when we launched this new fund i bring more of an operator mentality because that's what i did as you as you said was operate companies and we've linked that with people who understand technology and the transformation of technology that's that's happening and that's kind of led our investment thesis to where we are today and, and the things that 
uh, we see. I also, my experience at One Air Flowers, also I recognize the challenges we had with labor and how to deliver right. product and how to package product. And so we see a lot of um, interesting trends happening in, in, in those areas to alleviate labor challenges, labor availability, and the challenges of delivering. Incredible. And it, we'll, we'll get, I want to jump into labor here in a couple of minutes. Larry, I want to go to you because your background is incredibly unique as Dave highlights this tech piece that the underpinning of tech is clearly informatics, your background in bioinformatics, just fascinating. Uh, especially as we look at traceability in the food system, if you could maybe share a little bit more with us, Larry, about your background and the role you see informatics, bioinformatics and human health playing in this next chapter of ag bioscience innovation? Sure. Yeah. Thanks for the question. Um, so I'm a scientist by training, as you mentioned, and a technology nerd at heart. So I've been <laughs> to work in the fields of uh, biochemistry, molecular biology, computational biology, bioinformatics, and ultimately personalized medicine before I jumped over to the investing side of the world. And informatics role in ag biosciences is part of a larger thesis that's core to Lewis and Clark. And that is that biology and bioproduction is eclipsing petroleum-derived and chemistry-derived production. And this is in many subsectors of food and agriculture that we see. And it's often driven by the availability of biomass and our ability to transform that biomass into interesting end products. Um, this is largely driven by computational tools such as bioinformatics, machine learning, and artificial intelligence. And it's largely a big data, or it's become a big data pro problem. So what I mean by that, um, if you step back in biology, we have what's called the central dogma of the cell. So DNA, DNA is transcribed into RNA, which is translated into protein. And if that protein's an enzyme, it catalyzes a metabolic reaction. So DNA to RNA to protein to metabolite. If you go back to the 1970s, when we first started to get the capabilities of sequencing and, and metabolomics and things like that, basically um, we could do one gene, one transcript of RNA, one protein and one metabolic reaction. And it was all a matter of human brute force, uh, the number of scientists you could put on a problem and the number of people that you could use to basically create these meta the understanding of the metabolic network. In the 2000s, we saw the rise of omics technologies or high throughput technologies. And these brought in a new era of bottleneck. So now all of a sudden we had genomics for DNA, transcriptomics for RNA, proteomics for proteins, and metabolomics for metabolism. And instead of one person generating one sequence, one person at a benchtop could generate millions of sequences of RNA, DNA, proteins, or metabolites. So now all of a sudden, computers and computation are the bottleneck. So that's what gave rise to computational biology, bioinformatics, and really, you know, we're in an era where our computational understanding of biology is enabling us to uh, basically eclipse petroleum-derived chemistry, uh, as I mentioned before. So we've been invested in several companies across this trend. Um, on the DNA side, we just invested in a company called GenCove. They have a technology that dramatically lowers the cost of genome sequencing, and they're doing things like uh, predictive um, tests for cattle 
for the first time, they're going to be able to sequence cattle genomes and predict their risk for congenital heart failure. This is a huge problem, for instance, with companies like Simplot and uh, basically leads to early death for these cows. Well, GenCove is going to help Simplot to breed those genetic markers out of their herd and improve overall herd health. We have a company called Arzeda that works in protein. So they do com computationally aided protein design. This is driven by machine learning and artificial intelligence. But basically, rather than having to make a bunch of protein sequences and then go and run physical tests in the real world in a laboratory, Arzeda can shortcut that whole protein design process by um, doing the vast majority of this, the discovery work in the computer. The end result is we get better bioproduction, better enzymes, better performance. Um, but rather than having to do it by brute force in the real world, we're doing it on the computer. And then lastly, uh, much closer to what you were talking about with human health, we've invested in a company called BrightSeed that's focused on the metabolism. So BrightSeed has a machine learning and AI platform that can break down a plant's uh, secondary metabolism and understand what specific metabolites that plant is capable of making. They then intersect that with a model of human health and they can answer the question, if I ate more of this, would I be healthier? And they've made discoveries all across human health, everything from liver health, where their first product is, to better sleep, lower stress, um, better glucose and um, sugar um, stabilization. And uh, they do a lot of work with some of the large CPG companies in the world. So broadly, we've invested across this trend and will continue to do so. Um, going into fund three, we think that this is just going to be um, you know, further and further uh, move faster and be a trend that's you know, much longer here in the future. Uh, the one thing that we've looked at for fund two and ultimately think it's more of a fund three issue is the rise of quantum computing. So this is basically going to move our computational ability you know, one step even further, and we think that's going to lead to a whole new generation of biological technologies that are, are ripe for investing. It is fascinating, Larry, as you talk through this, I mean, this idea of hyper-personalization of food becomes a really interesting point. And Dave, I want to take this to you. You know, there are a number of these converging forces right now as we emerge from this pandemic that are creating opportunity for innovation. We see supply chains that were broken during the pandemic. We see, you know, what Larry just walked through on really consumer driven demands for food choice and, and personalization. We see the labor shortages you mentioned earlier, Dave, here in the States and all around the world. Where are you seeing innovations driving growth in these areas? Are there new categories of innovations or are there more opportunities to maybe overcome some of these challenges today in the ag bioscience? Yeah, thanks. Um, sure, we, we spend a lot of time thinking about these areas um, because our job as investors is to see these kind of quiet disruptions that are happening and, and try to determine whether they're going to be real or not. And then we look for business opportunities or business systems that are solving problems that are just real and, and very easy to see. So we see a number of places of growth in, in reduction of food waste, which we believe is a huge uh, opportunity. You know, I, I think the number is close to 40% of all food is, is wasted. We see opportunities to reduce 
waste in general around plastics and creating a more sustainable, you know, environment as well. So when you look at those two things, um, just in terms of shelf life extension, helps um, reduce food waste, plant-based packaging. We hear a lot about plant-based food. A place we spend a lot of time is around plant-based packaging mm. and plant-based alternatives for maybe non-food products. We see a, a number of growth opportunities in that area. So when I talk about labor before, um, robotics, we, we've invested in a company called Tortuga that is helping Incredible to- Incredible company. Incredible yeah, company. we're very, very excited about what they're doing in terms of, you know, some automation. Uh, you know, we, we look at a lot at, you see John Deere investing in a number of places around automation on the, on the farm, on the tractor, reducing dependency on labor. I don't think, you know, people, we need labor, but dependency right. on the variability of labor. We've, we've spent a lot of time in indoor farming, which is a huge growth opportunity. We have uh, not necessarily invested in any indoor farming operation, but we've um, essentially looked more at picks and shovels play in indoor farming. So what are the, the tools and software or camera systems that right. indoor farmers will, uh, will need? So that's where we've spent a lot of time looking at um, growth areas that we see. Makes a lot of sense. And Dave, I, I love the idea of focusing on the input to the output, right? The idea of how do we focus, yeah, I love your picks and shovels analogy, I think is brilliant. I mean, how do we find those innovations? And candidly, I think us here in the heartland, that's a really good place for us to play, right? We're really good at making things, really good at moving things, really good at innovation. Okay, gentlemen, we have 30 seconds left. So we're going to make a real quick flyover. And this is doing this complete injustice but it's ESG. We, we can't have a conversation about innovation without ESG. For those that don't know, ESG, environmental, social, and governance, giant category of investment, especially for institutional investors. Bloomberg estimates this category could surpass $50 trillion by 2025 or 30% of assets under management globally. Larry, I know this is an area that you have care about, and if you could maybe just give a in a quick flyover of what ESG is and what opportunities you see it creating right here in the ag bioscience. Sure. So opportunities abound. First off, uh, we're still in the early innings of ESG, and in that you know there's no one unified framework by which we can measure ESG attributes. So at the fund level, we try to take a really balanced approach to ESG investing. If a company is clearly contributing to environmental harm, we're going to walk away. But on the other side of that, you know, on the investments we do make, we don't impose tracking requirements on specific attributes for our portfolio companies. Often that's a matter of good business. And if it makes good business sense, we encourage it, but we don't force it upon our portfolio. Um, in, in ag bioscience in particular, we see sustainability as the clear, most clear attribute that most of our portfolio has. And it makes good business sense, right? Producers try to do more with less, reducing inefficiency in the supply chain. Dave already referenced food waste. You know, that's good for the bottom line. And then right. consumers are demanding it, right? So on a macro trend, we uh, are on a macro level. We th see things like regenerative agriculture, controlled environment ag, indoor farming that Dave mentioned, and then some forms of alternative protein production that fit, you know, both environment and sustainability goals and, also end up being you know, areas where the consumer is pulling this into the market. 
I think your assessment up front is opportunity abound, still in early innings. One could argue we might even be in batting practice. I mean, we're that early into ESG. There's so much opportunity. And gentlemen, we didn't get a chance to talk about SPACs. I'd love to have you back on. We've got to talk about SPACs and liquidity for ag bioscience investors and access to capital for really interesting ag bioscience innovators. But uh, maybe another time. Fair enough. Absolutely. Absolutely. All right. Well, we will hold hold you to it. Oh, thank you so much. He's Dave Tacklett, General Partner, Managing Director of Lewis and Clark AgriFood. And we just heard from Dr. Larry Page, Managing Director of Lewis and Clark AgriFood. Gentlemen, I cannot thank you enough for investing the time to be with us today. Thank you. Thanks so much. And thank you for tuning in to Ag Bioscience. You can always get the latest Ag Bioscience news and insights from discussions like this by subscribing wherever you listen to podcasts. While there, you can also access our entire library of archived episodes. And you can always learn more online at agronovasindiana.com. On behalf of the entire Agronovas team, I'm Mitch Frazier, thanking you for listening. We look forward to seeing you real soon. This podcast is a product of Inside Indiana Business, hosted by Gary Dick and produced by Kayla Chittister and Joe Ullery. More people get Indiana business news from Inside Indiana Business than any other source.